Monday, March 27th. This is the final week of the quarter. Dan Nathan, this is Market Call. As I mentioned, one on the East Coast, Mountain Time. Who cares? I guess three hours behind on the West Coast. The only time zone that matters, obviously, the East. This brought to you by FactSet Financial Data and Analytics, powered by tomorrow. By the way, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Smash that thing. Why not? In a few minutes, by the way, Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting will be joining us. Also, we have Ranger Hockey this week. Major League Baseball starts this week. I mean, we got a lot going on here, Dan Nathan. Yeah, and we're in the middle of March Madness. Um, listen, dude, it, it, I feel like we've had a little madness. We've talked about it in, in the month of March. It feels like, you know, we had this kind of little banking crisis, and I say little in quotes here, um, but by the same token, we've just seen the NASDAQ just power ahead. Mm -hmm. And that divergence, you know, I got two trades on, and they're kind of canceling each other out right now. One has been short of the financials, and one has also been short of uh, the tech, uh, the QQQ, the NASDAQ 100, and no individual names, to be honest with you. I just feel like this kind of trade is going to come unwound a little bit. And But when I look at like what's going on here today, guy, you know, like it's not too often that we see a NASDAQ that's down nearly 1% and the S&P that's up on the day. And, and that's kind of what we had here. It's led by some of these large cap tech names. And a lot of this, if we bring it back to Earnings. Okay, this is the end of Q1, the final week of Q1 here. We're going to start focusing on Q1 earnings and then forward guidance. There's a lot of calls that all of this kind of, you know, turmoil, as you might call it, mm. in the financials and in the banks is going to basically cause the likelihood of a recession, something that the stock market was not pricing in January. The bond market is now pricing now. We have guys over at Morgan Stanley saying the likelihood of a, you know, a recession is that much greater and then an earnings recession. So kind of thoughts on where we started the quarter and the sentiment was really bad at the end of last year, right? And where we are right now, because it, um, it seems about as clear as mud is what the economy and what the markets are pricing right now. Confusing for a lot of people. I think the rally we have, the resiliency in the market, I think, is somewhat predicated on exactly all the bad things that have just happened. I mean, something needed to break, I think, for market participants to make to believe that, okay, now the Fed's going to come rushing to our rescue. They're going to lower rates. Everything's going to be fine. Risk assets, everything is off to the races because they've seen that play many times before. And listen, maybe, it's, maybe that's how it plays out. You know, maybe in six months we'll be saying, you know what? That Silicon Valley Bank thing that was um, the that put in the short term bottom. It's been off to the races since because the Fed has our back. Personally, I don't think that's going to play out that way. But right now, I think that's people are looking at, and that's what people are hoping for. But I'll say this, and you alluded to it, and Marco Kalanovic's talking about it as well. I mean, the the volatility in the bond market is unprecedented, and whether or not yields go down, I don't even know if it matters at this point because I think credit conditions are going to be tighter almost by definition and credit's the lifeblood of this economy. Yeah. Well, listen, let's pull up the, the chart of the 10 year U S treasury yield. And, and I think this is kind of interesting. We didn't even bar, uh, bother to draw a line, but if you look at where we are right now, three and a half percent down from 4% just a few weeks ago, we're right at that 200 day moving average. We've been back and forth on either side of it over the last week or so, but the volatility in that range has been dramatic, but go all the way back to June of last year. And you see where we topped out at three and a half percent. Remember that guy. And you know, at any point over the last, you know, call it, nine months or so we've been in and around three and a half percent right and so um like i i guess my point is is like 
that is to me reflective of, and you've been saying this for an awful long time of the potential of, you know, a slowing economy. And so I just think that what happened in the banking sector is like the likely thing that pushes us over um, the edge a little bit. We just had the, the 200 day, or we just had the S and P 500 chart up there, guys. Again, like, here's one thing I'll just say this and you and I keep kind of harping on this. These charts look constructive like, for all intents and purposes, especially when you consider what the backdrop is of a really important group within the S&P 500, the banks, and how poorly they have acted. And you've seen like, like you know, numerous banks go into receivership with the feds. And you've seen money center banks, like once perceived to be fairly safe, drop 20% in a straight line over a short period of time. You know, like S&P 500 holding its 200-day mm -hmm. in an uptrend, getting ready to retest, if it will, you know, that downtrend that's been in place for you know a year year and a quarter or so like it's hard sometimes and maybe carter can help us make some sense of this it's hard to kind of look at that picture and say that's not kind of you know that's pretty constructive thoughts there carter will say you know and i'll let him speak for himself when he comes on but he has been saying that although he thinks lower in the s p you know the moves we've been seeing are effectively a pair of twos and people are going to get themselves chopped up in the meantime, and that's exactly what's going on. I mean, there was a point last week, I think it was Friday, but it might have been Thursday. It doesn't matter where. It really felt like the market was going to cascade lower. And then for whatever reason, it got back on its horse. And again, maybe it's on the back of these perceived um, salve for the banking industry and everybody thinks the worst is over. And maybe wishful thinking turns out to be the right way to look at this entire thing. But something I said earlier today and something I will say here again is the same group that got themselves on the wrong side of the bond move when yields were exploding higher and the yield curve was going to 110 base points inversion, you know, there's probably a, an equal or larger group that have gotten themselves equally off sides as yields have gone precipitously lower over the last couple of weeks. So people are zigging when they should be zagging. So if you're asking which you are, you know, I think there are more chapters to be written in this whole banking thing. And I think it ends when you see a take under of one of these banks. I don't know which one it will be. I'm not hoping yeah. for it, but we have seen this play out that way before. Well, we're going to talk about all that in a little bit, and Carter's going to actually break out some different sectors within financials um, that have been affected, at least in the stock market, and maybe have yet to have um, you know any recognition of issues that like you're talking about, and we'll talk about that um, in a few minutes here. But let's bring Carter in because um, he had a great note on Friday afternoon from the slopes. How you doing, Carter Bragg? Good. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Hey, on worth charting, you you were spotty last week. I'm glad that you took a little time because you deserve it. You are um, steadfast in the work that you do for your clients over there at worth charting. Um, but this note kind of caught my eye. But I wanted to start before you talk about this is epic. I mean, li like literally, people kind of hold on here a little bit because for some of us who remember the Nasdaq highs in 2000, for you to kind of run through what you're going to run through and, and really get back to some levels, um, at least on an underperformance slash outperformance um, is really fascinating. Let's talk about this Nasdaq for a second. And every once in a while, you play some games over there with your friends that we're charting or your customers, and you'll take a name off a chart. You'll put things upside down. You'll do this, that, the other thing. If we took the name off of it and everything, and we just grew some you know kind of crude lines here. I mean, it's kind of constructive looking, right? This is going back to Jan of 2022, Carter. Right. So if, if, you know, if you could alter one thing, it would make it very constructive. If you could remove the August high, mm -hmm. right? So if we had come down in January as we did and sort of wallowed in base where, and then we stayed down in September and then October was the actual low. 
that would have more of a sort of a, a rounding bottom, a, a bearish to bullish reversal. But we spiked, right, in August. In fact, spiked so much that uh, the street went bullish, right? In fact, you heard the statistic, never in the history of markets have you retraced more than 50% of a decline, and we had, and not gone on and made new highs, new bull. In fact, it was the exact opposite. Of course, we crashed from there. But if you, one could remove that, we would be in a really good position to sort of pop higher. But we cannot remove uh, the August spike. And so there's overhead supply, right? There's congestion. There's, there's uh, stock ahead, as the expression goes. Yeah, I mean, guy, like you know, again, you know, we've talked a lot about how during this 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 period over the last few weeks, just the Nasdaq has been a huge beneficiary. In, in particular, you know, Apple, Microsoft, mm -hmm. even Google rallied like fifteen percent. Alphabet, right off of those um, recent lows, Nvidia just kept on powering ahead. And so, when you think about how much of those names are the weight of the Nasdaq one hundred, I think those top six names are nearly 50% or so does that make you feel like more constructive you know, you know, you know what I mean like you know I, listen we're getting into quarter end there might be some funky marks and and all that sort of window dressing sort of stuff but does that concentration now make you feel better or worse about the chances of this stock or this this ETF breaking out and maybe testing those August highs yeah. because listen if you're short right now which which I am that would be very painful even if it mm -hmm. gets those August highs, you're going to have to make a decision there. You know, we've seen, to Carter's point, you know, the flight to quality in some of these high valuation, high growth names. And by the way, you know, I'll throw Apple in terms of high valuation. I mean, it's not ridiculous, but it's certainly expensive. And, you know, that has been the perceived flight to safety. And that can last longer than people acknowledge. But typically, that's sort of the final innings before everything starts to capitulate. And we've seen it a couple times over the last few years. But does it make me feel better? Not necessarily. Because right before our very eyes, some of these stocks, which went from reasonably valued, have gotten themselves expensive seemingly overnight. And, you know, I'm reading through the comments and people might be saying this in jest. It's hard to tell sarcasm in the written word. But, you know, people talking about NVIDIA being the first $5 trillion company. You know, I've seen things like this before at certain stages of cycles, and it typically doesn't augur particularly well. So when in, when Apple and Microsoft are now 13% of the S&P 500 as you mentioned literally a handful to six names 50% of the Nasdaq I mean that's problematic because each one of those companies have idiosyncratic risk and none of them are without flaws and some of them are downright expensive so yeah it concerns me a little bit and, there, right, and there's this you know the concentration is it's ever thus right it's the it's the natural way of things i mean think about Sports teams are almost always dominated by a player or two. Um, great political campaigns in any endeavor. In fact, the concentration in Apple and Microsoft now is analogous to AT&T and IBM going back 40 years. And at the time, right, one can never see how the champion could falter. Mm -hmm. What could possibly stop Babe Ruth here? LeBron James, they cannot be stopped. And that there's always something. What this is at this moment, uh, the money flow into, of course, these names uh, hold aside NVIDIA, but but the more mature growth names, uh, Apple, uh, Microsoft, it's literally the face of fear. I mean, yeah, it yeah. is the most offensive thing you can do besides literally going into soup cans and, and detergent is going into something that's idiosyncratic in its nature, growth, and it, it's not responsive or as, as responsive to cyclical assets in a prospective period of economic contraction. And then here's the irony and real ironies. Forget about the actual names, Apple and Microsoft. Think about the men behind them. 
It's like saying, I am so terrified about what's coming. I think I'll just put it all with Steve Jobs mm -hmm. and Bill Gates. I mean, <laughs> that's a, the most offensive thing you could do. And that's yeah, what people yeah. are doing. Yeah, no doubt about it. All right, let's uh, take us into a little bit of a time machine. You want to you want to take us yeah, back to uh, to to two thousand here? Something that uh, I think Guy and myself and you have all have a little scar tissue from that uh, protracted bear market that went from the highs in two thousand oh one oh two. Really, I kind of even made a new low almost in oh three, right in early of oh three, yeah. Carter. And then the, the shocking thing, and you've talked about this over the years. I mean how long it took the NASDAQ just on an outright basis to kind of um, get back to um, a level that had been uh, much longer. Sure. But before we look at the charts, I mean, the, the valuation in the dot-com period was such that Walmart was trading at 40 times. GE yeah. was trading at 40 times. So it was, it was excess that was all-encompassing, which had its, of course, its, its culmination in, in these dot-com stocks, many of which don't exist. <laughs> but let's look at the charts. So, this is simply, now we're not looking at an absolute or anything. We're looking at a ratio, one thing divided by another. It's the S&P 500 technology sectors mm -hmm. relative performance to the market, one thing divided by another. Now, it doesn't say much here because there are no lines or arrows, but let's put some in. So this is not random. Maybe we can toggle there. Take it off, put it on. I mean, how is it possible? And we, we got back there um, just about uh, 10 months ago, and it hit its head uh, to the penny, and that kicked off this bear market. And now we're back there again. Look at the next chart. It's really up close and personal. So we, we got there literally um, the, in the sort of October, November period of 21. Market peaks on 4 January 22, and the whole thing goes pear-shaped. Now we've, we're reapproaching that level. And so if you look at the long-term chart, again, the question is, do we break out here on a relative? But the main thing is, and this is the, this, this is the tragedy, that the S&P 500 technology sector, whose constituents are always changing, has just now recouped all of its relative losses, meaning it was one of the greatest wealth creators, that sector, of all time on the way up, one of the greatest destructors, the dot-com crash, on the way down. And only now, 22, 23 years later, on a relative basis, has it gotten back in line with the S&P. It's, it's a stunning kind of thing. It just shows how important it is not to be in the market when it's really expensive. Um, uh, yeah, stunning. But No, it is stunning. And what's interesting here is we are on the verge of, you know, you get to conditions that are unsustainable. And to your point, maybe it does break out from here, but, you know, a lot of these things become mean reverting. And so, you know, it, historically, and you can go back and look the reasons why people flocked into these names. I mean, 98, 99, 2000 is pretty self-explanatory. What we saw recently, somewhat self-explanatory in terms of the type of environment that we found ourselves in. And it's just sort of, it's at the crescendo of things. It's not at the beginning. That's my take, at least. You know, when you see something like this, it's not the beginning of something, Dan. It's closer to the end. And in this case, it would, it would mean, I think, that the NASDAQ gives it up a bit, or maybe even more than just a bit in a meaningful way. And today, at least a snapshot of where we are right now, and I'm not suggesting this is a trend at all, but today's action speaks to what it could look like moving forward. That's right. I mean, we're up against a difficult level as they occurred. The one thing, of course, to note is just then versus now, just how much steeper the, the parabolic move of the sort of 97, 99 was, whereas this approach, obviously not as steep. And we've been backing Philly for the better part of three years. Um, I, don't, I don't recall if we have other charts, but we might. I, I'm not sure. Oh, yeah, I'd forgotten. So this is now, forget about the ratio. This is the sector itself. And what, what jumps out, of course, is how far above 
we are from the dot-com peak. But the thing is, it's not that all impressive. So what I've taken there is annotated from the absolute high of the dot-com peak to the high of this current um, cycle, which was for January. And you see there that that's an annualized return of 5.4% over 22 years. That's not exactly a, 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 a real boom. But what if you take it to the present? So if you do it just simply to the present, the actually is from the dot-com peak to where we are now, now all of a sudden your annualized return drops to 4.2. I mean, this is pretty uh, sort of modest stuff. And then if you want to talk about feeble, even worse than modest, look at the next thing. This is the same thing adjusted for inflation, mm -hmm. which is to say that if one, unfortunate or not, had committed all of their capital for whatever reason at the peak of the dot-com in the technology sector and is held to this day, your annualized return is 1.64%. That is um, bad. <laughs> Bad, bad in a word, as Guy would say. And I, I think the absolute chart's amazing because I remember in 2014, the headlines about when the NASDAQ finally got back to its highs. And, you know, if you looked at, you know, that chart, that long purgatory, you know, from like the mid aughts to, you know, uh, until it really started going up in 2013, 14. Stocks like Microsoft went sideways. They traded in like a 25% range for years, you know, and they remember all the extraordinary or, or, you know, they did the special dividends and that they were trying to do everything that they could buying back as much stock as they could. And it just wouldn't break out. And it took a period of, I don't know, a changeover in management and a whole host of other things. Um, and we saw that around the same time with a bunch of other stocks like Apple too, right? In 2011, 12. So interesting stuff. All right, let, let's talk about the, the banks. Let's talk about financial as a sector you're gonna break down a few things guy i just wanted to get your take quickly because we come in this morning and you know a citizens first is buying you know a, a bunch of mm -hmm. silicon valley banks assets and they're doing it at just a you know a level where i think investors are pretty excited you know so citizens first is up or first citizens whatever the hell it is um is up 50 percent okay right now so they're buying a bunch of deposits and assets that are backstopped by the regulators Right. And then the stuff that they didn't want, the regulators still have. Seems like a good deal. Right. And so that's caused a little rally in the XLF. It's caused a rally in First Republic and some of the other um, regionals. It's interesting to note that First Republic is only up 10 percent. It was up 30 percent in the pre-market people. If that stock goes down in the day, watch out, watch out for the KRE. I would expect the XLF to follow suit. But guy, your thoughts on all of this, because. You've been mentioning this. I mean, they are buying these assets, these deposits, whatever the brand they're getting out of receivership. Yeah. And so if you walked in this morning and you're saying YOLOing First Republic, and we don't really know what the issues are just that yet they have not quantified them, you might be ba buying bad equity here. Yeah. And let's, listen, if you trade it in the first 30 minutes of the day, you know, good on you, as the Australians say. But there's more to this. I mean, think about it. When was the last time we put that headline back up real quick? When yeah. was the last time on Fast Money or on any of our shows we uttered the phrase First Citizens Bank? I'm sure it's a lovely place. I saw the CEO on this morning. He was asked questions that he seemingly gave complete non sequitur answers to, but that's neither here nor there. But think about the discount with which they bought the assets and think about all the other banks that could have stepped up but didn't. So you have to ask yourself, well, wait a second. Maybe things aren't as strong as they appear, and maybe we're not at the end of this thing. Maybe we're just in the early innings of this thing. And I said it earlier on this show, 
and I'll say it again, you know, I'm not wishing for this and I don't know what it's going to be, but this typically plays out where you see some sort of take under, not a take over coming in the form of a stock that closed, let's just say, for sake of argument, at $25. And next thing you know, it's being taken under at seven. We've seen that before. And by the way, quickly, I mean, this to me um, is at the beginning of things in terms of what banks are going to do. They're the credit cycle is going to get tighter by definition, which makes it a much more difficult environment for banks to function in. So I can understand why people are saying breathing a collective sigh of relief. But I think there's just another wave out there on the horizon waiting to crash. So, so Carter, we wanted you to take a look um, again. I know that you don't really care about what you call the fundamentals and, and all that sort of stuff. And oftentimes we had a great uh um, we, we talked about Square last week and we kind of gave you a big shout out because I think you, you've you ingrained this into us that oftentimes the technicals are leading the fundamentals. And, and the day before that short report came out on Square, we talked about it, just the kind of series of lower highs and series of lower lows, the poor relative strength to some of its other peers, that sort of thing. And then all of a sudden, stock's down 20% the next day on a short report. And so like, I know that is what you do. That is your skill set and figuring those things out so we wanted you to kind of take a look and say okay you know it started with the regionals we all were looking at the kbw the kre right like that sort of thing it spread to the kind of the, the xlf right the, the mega cap sort of names there we know there's a big insurer in there which is well berkshire which is uh, you know a large part insurance and we wanted to just kind of give us some context about where we know everybody's focused but then also when you look at some of these big life insurers there there's just the relative the weakness there looks a lot like the regionals right yeah i mean it's it's both similar but different um and we can look at it i mean of course the insurers don't have the same basic risks that these no. operating lenders do if you want to characterize it that way and in fact on a relative basis if you take the s p 500 insurance sub industry group overall and of course there's different types there's property casualty there's life health and it goes on um, but insurers generally, it, it, it's weakness to take advantage of is my hunch, whereas the weakness in the banks is something to stay away from. That's the, that's the S&P 500 sub-insurance group overall, which again picks up things like MetLife versus Chubb versus Aflac and AIG and everything in between. And so it's a, it's a well-defined trend line and it's, a, and it's a break in trend. But if you were to look at insurance relative performance to the XLF, of course, it's a much different picture. And here and now, I'd rather be in insurance stocks in general than banks, um, asset managers, broker dealers. Yeah. So, so run us through just um, you know what, like like if you're still short the XLF here, are you pressing? Okay, that's one question mm -hmm. for you. Um, you talked about some weakness to take advantage of versus weakness to just kind of stay away from. I mean, you know, the guy's point about like th there's going to be some other regionals that see their equity go essentially to zero. Right. Like 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 that's not a, something I'm asking you to opine on. But if that were the case, like it, it may be a little too soon on the regional. So just wa walk us through some of the absolute and, and, and what you're thinking on some of these setups. Sure, independent, just conceptually, right? There is a concept they, that if something has just gone wrong, right? It, it, you know, a hole in the boat. You don't just, you let things, you you, you step back. There's an expression, let the dust settle. You know, you, you want to assess the situation. Rushing in typically is wrong, right? And some people have three-day rules. These things, those are kind of made up, but I buy something after three days of weakness. But the concept is right, right? After an initial 
blow or hit, the stock drops because they cut the dividend unexpectedly or they restate it. it, it it's appealing to jump in and, and say, this is weakness that I've, but there'll be time enough. You first have to figure out whether it's going to get worse. Now, to some extent, we have price discovery. This banking crisis, as we know, it is not yesterday. It's days and days and days now where big portfolio managers, hedge funds have had time to make decisions and move capital. Uh, for me, though, it, it's not weakness to take advantage of. Uh, we can look at some of the absolute charts if, if you want. Yeah, let, let's. Um, all right. Well, here's XLF. I mean, this is a pretty good. I mean, if you think about it, one could say, what crisis? All it is is back to where it was two months ago, right? Which is kind of the point. I mean, now, to be fair, this has Berkshire in it. This has JP Morgan in it, right? This has things that have nothing to do with the crisis at all. Not to say that JP Morgan doesn't, but there is no banking crisis at JP Morgan. Um, so, one thing to say is it's back to the pre COVID level and is basically backing and filling. You could draw the lines another way. And so, let's toggle. One way or the other way, one way or the other way. It's a pretty big juncture. We're kind of flirting with a break in trend. We're flirting with, and so again, no reason to step in on the long side. The question is, what is what is the downside? I suspect there's more. Uh, hard to know how much. Yeah, I'm with Carter on this. We talked about it on an earlier show, Dan, and I think came out a, a half hour or so ago with Liz. I, you know, this does not trade. This the XLF does not trade particularly well at all. And these levels, if you could toggle back, I mean, we mentioned that the level we're finally holding at here is the same level we topped out at. Past resistance becomes support, and that's what we're seeing here. But the more times, <laughs> excuse me, you try it on the downside, the more apt you are to break through on the downside. And I think that's where we are now. There's really no meaningful bounce in this ETF. And as we're sitting here, I think First Republic, which I think opened on the highs of the day around $16.38 or something, and that's now as a thirteen seventy-five handle or so, and has basically been trading, you know, gradually lower all day. That to me is a bit of a warning sign as well. Yeah. All right, Carter. Before we let you go, <laughs> really appreciate your time here. What do you, What do you make of? Um, you know, I got Google down three percent. I got Apple down one and a quarter percent. I got Microsoft down one and a half percent. You know, Amazon, Meta, you know, all down here. And then we see, you know, just this kind of strength. A little bit today, I said the XLF up one and a half percent. And like mm -hmm. we just talked about, the regionals are, are kind of well, well, well off their highs. If tech were to kind of like literally catch ahead of steam and we're going to see the NASDAQ down, we haven't really had any two percent days in the major indices in a while, right? Like, no. which is kind of interesting. So, what do you think is going to lead to the downside? Or do you think that if, if the banks and, and, and the regionals and there was like, you know, some sort of headlines that at least puts a near term floor in them, could they drag the NASDAQ back up? I'm just curious what your thoughts here because again, right. we got we got an NDX that's up 16% of the year and we got a spy that's it's still up about 4% of the year. That's right. You've got, you've got real bifurcation intramarket sector to sector, financials, energy at one end, and of course, communications, which is essentially tech because it's meta and so forth, um, and tech itself at the other extreme. The way to look at it, at least to my eye, is this the market is unchanged, right? We know this, hence the pair of twos designation from my seat. But one could say so then the market's neither worse nor better. But actually, the market is worse internally, and, he and here's why that the ones that are in trouble have gotten worse, the banks, right, energy and certain industrials, and further weakness um, from uh, two, three weeks ago is a problem. It means that money is exiting. And so their position is worse. And one could say, yeah, but the position of tech is better, offsetting that, hence the market being lunch. But tech 
isn't better. Tech has now gotten more expensive because nothing's changed in tech, right? Apple's not, its growth prospects haven't changed last five, six weeks and, and Google, it's simply been a recipient of the, uh, of the money exiting other areas of the market. But if you think about the market itself, SBX unchanged, but the way it's unchanged, the two parts are less desirable. The tech is bid up now. It's, it's, it's quote, ahead of itself day to day, while the things that are impaired are worse and they're worse for a reason. The market structure is worse than it was, even though it's unchanged. The entire move in tech is multiple expansion. I mean, yeah. if you think about it, nothing's changed. I mean, as much as people want to say the growth prospects for NVIDIA have changed over the last six months vis-a-vis -vis this AI. I mean, let's just be real here. I mean, I would say 90% of the NVIDIA move is multiple expansion. Same thing with Apple and Microsoft. Nothing has fundamentally changed. And some might argue things have actually gotten meaningfully worse in terms of the consumer for Apple specifically and in terms of Microsoft from the layoffs they're seeing from some of their end users, right? I mean, if you think about who they sell to, I mean, that is not necessarily a robust uh, environment either. So it's not being negative for the sake of being negative. It's just trying to read the tea leaves and put it out there. Rotation is a powerful thing, but you're rotating now into an area that was expensive to start. It's just gotten itself more expensive. Right. And now one could say, look, that overall is the market cheaper because interest rates have gone. We know that the PE is 18, right, on a trailing. One divided by 18, the earnings yield gives you a 5.6%. Now, 5.6% versus 3.5% 10-year treasury is a better dynamic than it was just months ago when it was almost five. But still, these are not cheap markets. Right. Well, and that's assuming that that E that that's E component correct. is and 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 you know we are in the camp that it's way too high, which leads us to our next thing. Right? Listen, Carter Braxton Worth, thank you so much right, for joining us. Check him out at Worth Charting guy. What do you say? What's the what's the tagline? Worth charting? No emojis, no hearts, just charts. Yeah, so there you good. go. So there you go, Carter. Whenever, whenever you want to pay us for that, I mean, you're, you're more than yeah, welcome so, to do. So. Our, our the marketing uh, <laughs> I would pay, pay for you not to have that appear on my website. Like a shakedown. We, I, <laughs> exactly. All right. Fair enough. Thanks, bud. Be safe Bye. out there. Um, okay, guy, that actually leads us to our next and final sort of story here about, okay, that earnings, right? And what will all of this, you know, like what, what going on in the banking sector, the higher cost of capital, the, the, the to probably tighter lending, you know, mm -hmm. kind of situation. And so this was um, something, I think this was in Barron's this morning, and it was talking about um, the analyst at Baird. He's talking about the regional banking panic can impact any number of industries, including construction. Uh, this is Mig Dobra, um, who downgraded shares of CAT and URI, we see rising risks for rental construction equipment um, and a 2024 slowdown in U.S. non-residential construction was already on the horizon. So they're just seeing this kind of sped up. You look at this cat chart. I think you called for a double, a five-year uh, double that we've highlighted on many occasions um, right up into those highs recently. Look at this thing. It's holding on for dear life at its 200-day, filled in that gap back mm -hmm. to last fall. Thoughts here on the cat tractor. Well, now, now it's, you have to prove yourself because people will point to valuation and say it's reasonable. But when things like this get cheap, they're getting cheap for a reason. And sometimes that's a reason to avoid them, not get into them. And you know, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. But sometimes cheap on the surface means that things are about to get very expensive. And if non-residential construction goes the way that this note indicates that it will, Caterpillar is not going to be spared from it. So it becomes from a very 
relatively cheap stock to a very expensive stock seemingly overnight. So the 200-day moving average, we're right there. It's flattening out. Some might even say we're starting to turn down. You're right. To a certain extent, we filled that gap we have from, I think, October, November. But, man, we are hanging on by a thread in some of these names. And if more analysts come to that way of thinking, and if, in fact, you see this slowdown in construction, you think Caterpillar is going to be spared? The answer, obviously, is no. No, and, and I, you make a great point. Um, and I'll just say this right now: current consensus for 2023 adjusted earnings are calling for nearly 16 bucks. That's like about 14 percent year over year on 10 percent sales growth. And let's just say that's what it comes in at. Okay, and the stock has already come in pretty dramatically, mm -hmm. right? From above, um, what was that, 265 or something like that, down to 218 or so. I mean, you have a stock trading about 14 times. And we just said the trailing, you know, PE on the S&P 500 is about 18, right? So that's, I think, like the five, 10-year average or so. You know, you got a 2.2% dividend yield. They got a big buyback, that sort of thing. So, you know, this is a name where if it were continued to correct, right, and get below $200, I mean, at some point, when it starts discounting the, the impending recession, like then you want to start dollar mm -hmm. cost averaging. But what I don't, you know, I don't know what people were thinking just two months ago when the stock was breaking out to new 52 week highs and YOLOing cat tractor there in the because they because they were happy that we literally just downgraded the outlook from soft landing to no landing when six months ago at the October lows and this stock was trading at $160 and we were pricing in a guaranteed recession. Like that's not how you trade people. In no, listen, I'm with you. And, and again, it, it just is one of those names. Again, you don't have to necessarily trade it, but I think you should watch it just to sort of gauge sentiment and really what's going on. I mean, this is a pretty important company globally. Uh, so just keep a look on that. You know, we mentioned the HYG a number of times. That had a pretty interesting drop today. It hasn't gone anywhere for the last hour or so. And we'll, real quick before we get out of here, Jim's asking, Guy, are you still bullish on TLT? I think last I looked, it's 104 and change. I mean, effectively, being bullish TLT means you think yields, specifically tenure yields, are going to go down, which I do. It's going to be a bit of a bumpy ride. I think the TLT is okay here. We traded right up to the moving average. We stopped at it. But I, th I personally, I think yields are going to go meaningfully lower, not for the right reasons, by the way, because things are slowing down and because there's some sort of event, which almost by definition means the TLT goes higher, Dan. Fair enough. You had a good call on that one, Guy, of late. And Carter also um, had a great technical call on that when we were above 4%. I think you were um, echoing the same here. And again, I mean, I think on some of these kind of risk assets that are seem to be a bit more um, in tune with, with kind of the news on a day-to-day -day basis, there are good ranges. You guys have been talking about trading crude. You've been talking about fading the dollar, right? You've been talking about doing the inverse of the yield move. I mean, those things have uh, worked out pretty nicely here. So, um, okay, well, thanks to Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting Guy in Utah, man. Yeah, jeez, you know, you're just over there in Morristown, New Jersey. Yeah, here. not nearly as much fun, but Carter is fun. Obviously, I want to thank FactSet Financial Data and Analytics, powered by Tomorrow. They are also our data provider. Big week in all things sports. Big week in all things markets. We'll be here for all of it, Dan Nathan. Uh, check us out on YouTube. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Why not? And if you like it, smash that freaking like button because that's what people apparently do, Dan. We will be back tomorrow where it's just the two of us. See just you later, folks. See you later. Thanks, everyone.